Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. We saw a fairly positive day in grain trade on Friday as traders wrap things up for the Christmas holiday break. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. Merry Christmas to you and yours. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Happy to be here with you as we talk to markets at issues impacting rural America on the show today. And a fairly positive day as traders wrap things up and headed to the long holiday weekend on Friday, especially in that grain market trade. While we saw the energy market, crude oil found some good support on Friday as well. And that might have been one of the factors helping to lift the grain markets as well. We're going to talk markets. We're we're going to dive into this trade that we saw here this past week. We're going to look at things and talk about the markets as we head into the final week of the year and head on to 2023. Ted Seifert, Zayner Ankedge, is going to join us coming up here on the show today. He'll join us starting in segment two to run through the week that was. And I know uh, Ted has got a, a lot of thoughts on his mind here with this market trade as we wrap up the year. So we're going to dive in with him coming up here in just a little bit on the show. We do have some news headlines to take a look at as well here on the program. And one of the first ones that we are looking at is more confirmations from the U.S. Senate ahead of the Christmas holiday break. On Thursday evening, the U.S. Senate voted to confirm Doug McCaleb as chief ag negotiator with the United States Trade Representative. This is a confirmation that, along with the Alexis Taylor confirmation earlier in the week, has been long awaited by folks throughout agriculture. The Senate also confirmed the nomination of Dr. Jose Emilio Esteban as Undersecretary for Food Safety at USDA. Reaction pouring in from the agriculture sector with uh, a lot of folks uh, really just signaling their support here once again for these nominations getting confirmed. U.S. Grains Council said in a statement that we, quote, welcome and are very much looking forward to working with Doug McCaleb in his pivotal role, combining his extensive international experience and more than 28 years of government service at the USDA. His strong background in farm and trade policy and his knowledge of biotechnology will be very helpful to advance trade priorities and open markets for U.S. corn, sorghum, barley, and co-products, end quote. We got comments as well from the National Cord Growers Association as their vice president of public policy, Brooke Appleton, said, quote, we are pleased that the Senate voted to confirm this nomination. We look forward to working with Mr. McCaleb as we address Mexico's looming decree that would ban imports of biotech corn. The wheat industry releasing a statement. USW President Vince Peterson said, quote, Mr. McCaleb's work in conservation with the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service and recent negotiations with the Mexican government on biotech issues match up perfectly with some of the most important agricultural trade barriers. He is well prepared for this position, and we look forward to working with him to open and grow overseas markets for U.S. wheat, end quote. 
Now, McCaleb has worked on agricultural policy and trade for over 28 years, and he most recently served as senior advisor to USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack. So very uh, great news to get Doug McCaleb confirmed at the USTR, as well as, again, uh, Dr. Jose Emilio Esteban as the Undersecretary for Food Safety at USDA. Ted McKinney, the CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, NASDA, offered his remarks on both confirmations and on Dr. Emilio Esteban's confirmation, saying, quote, Dr. Esteban is a remarkable scientist, and perhaps even more important, he is an exceptional communicator when it comes to helping others understand the science behind our food. The U.S. Department of Agriculture needs knowledgeable and experienced leaders at the helm like Dr. Esteban to navigate our food system's current challenges and implement bipartisan solutions. We thank the U.S. Senate for confirming Dr. Esteban and foreseeing the strengths he brings to the agriculture and food industry. So again, the Senate ahead of the Christmas holiday confirming Doug McCaleb as chief ag negotiator with the USTR and Dr. Jose Emilio Esteban as undersecretary for food safety at USDA. That goes with the confirmation of Alexis Taylor earlier this week and as a USDA undersecretary. So finally getting these long-awaited confirmations through and getting those folks into those positions. Well, another headline we're watching here throughout agriculture is, of course, South American weather and the size of this upcoming South American crop. There's a lot of talk that this Brazilian crop could be a record, could be a monster, and it's going to be a big talking point throughout the market trade as we enter into the new year in this first quarter of 2023 and as we start to make planting decisions in the U.S. for spring planting. Well, as we watch the South American weather forecasts and we watch how their growing season progresses, we get an update from Pedro Deneca, founder of MD Commodities. He was on with Mike Pearson on our sister program, AOA Agriculture of America, on Friday morning, and he shared some great updates in regards to the South American crop, the growing season, and the weather outlook right now. And we get first comments about whether or not this quote-unquote record Brazilian crop could come to fruition. Here's what Deneca, who is currently in Brazil, had to say about it. We're going to have to wait another 30 to 45 days to, to determine if uh, this is a crop that has the potential to, go, to even go above 155 millimetric tons, or maybe it's a crop that stays right around 148 to 152 millimetric tons. But um, right now, we believe... Uh, the range, the working range, should be anywhere between 148 to 153 uh, at this point. Now we have to wait. If if rains arrive in uh, the uh, uh, southern portion of Brazil, Rio Grande do Sul, in January, uh, also recall that they're just now planting. They have a very similar cycle uh, as Argentina has. And so if rains arrive uh, in southern Brazil uh, here in the month of January, and the forecasts are calling for it, so if the forecasts are correct, then I believe we're going to head towards 155, uh, maybe a little bit higher than that. But for right now, I think uh, let's just stay right around 150 as a working number, what we like to call it. And even a 145 uh, would be still 20 millimetric tons above last year. Uh, Brazil is going to totally dominate the export market starting in mid-January. Also, what is the outlook for Brazilian exports? Deneca shares his thoughts for the first and second quarter. Uh, not quite, not quite. Uh, you know, the, the ag industry was very, very strong Bolsonaro supporter. Uh, there's been a, a, a strong sense of disappointment, obviously, with Bolsonaro not being reelected. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, Lula has been president before. The ag industry thrived when Lula was president of Brazil before. 
Um, it's not necessarily ideal for uh, in the view of uh, a lot of the folks in the ag industry, but that does not mean that they're not going to work together. Uh, just recall that agriculture in Brazil corresponds to about uh, just about one third of the uh, Brazilian GDP. And uh, any government that comes in is going to want to work closely to, with agriculture to make sure they continue thriving. Also, what is the outlook for acreage for that second crop in Brazil, that safrina crop? Here's what Deneca says. You know, we're looking at a minimum of 5% uh, increase from last year uh, in the safrina corn. Uh, that number could get higher or a little bit lower. I, I actually, I think lower is going to be very difficult because the planting window is going to be very, very good. So the farmers have invested. They bought inputs already. By the way, uh, there is uh, uh, zero truth to some of the reports saying that Brazilian farmers have not invested because of the prices of inputs. This is the most expensive crop that they have planted in soybeans. It's going to be the most expensive crop that they will plant for cotton, for corn. And Deneca says the potential is there if the weather cooperates. That's Pedro Deneca with MD Commodities speaking on Friday morning's edition of AOA. Coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Ted Seifert, Zainer Agheads, back with more Market Talk right after this. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrap up the trade and head to the Christmas holiday and look ahead to 2023, saw a fairly positive day on Friday. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about these markets as a whole as we get ready to wrap up the year and head on to 2023. We welcome in our good friend Ted Seifried with Zaner Agheads joining us here today on the show. Ted, good to catch up with you, buddy. Merry Christmas. Hope you're doing well. Merry Christmas to you too, Jesse. I am doing fantastically. I hope you're doing the same. I am doing as best as I can with all the uh, the cold weather impacting all of us here across the country and the blizzard conditions, and we hope uh, everyone's staying inside, staying warm, staying safe. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of traders, uh, they headed out early. I mean, Friday's trade, it was a positive day, but just kind of that low-volume holiday type of trade. We, we caught a little bit of a, a strength in grains, and it seemed to kind of hold there as we went through the session, Ted. That's what it felt like to me anyway. Yeah, you know, a lot of times, you know, between these three, although I'm actually calling this a three-and-a-half-day uh, weekend because it's a hard-open Tuesday morning, no Monday night session. Uh, but a lot of times in front of these holiday weekends, especially this holiday weekend, We'll trade for the first hour, hour and a half, and then after that, it gets really quiet. And, and that's, well, and then maybe a little bit of ubiqui ubiquitous, uh, ubiquitous, uh, whatever. <laughs> a little, little profit taking at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, you know, we started out trading fairly solidly, uh, you know, first thing in the morning, and then we just kind of held it. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, Friday was a bit of a risk on day. You'll get crude oil up $2.30 as well. Um, it's just money coming into commodities as a whole. I don't think it's a huge amount. I don't think it took a whole lot of volume to, to make that happen, really, in any of these markets. Uh, but it's good to see some risk on happening, you know, in front of the holiday. Uh, so we'll see. As far as grains are concerned, we are still rather concerned about South American weather and Argentina in particular. You know, are those rains going to um, – they've been able to get a few rains come in. Right. And so what the trade's wrestling with is, is this a change in the weather pattern overall? Are they going to be onto a better weather pattern? And, and is, are things going to really start to improve for them? Or was it just a one-off thing? And then go back to the hot and dry scenario. We saw crop conditions, you know, Thursday afternoon uh, coming out of the Rosario Grain Exchange. 
oof, not good, especially for soybeans. Um, but it is early, right? You know, I mean, this is very early for the Argentina growing season. You talk about Brazil's first crop soybeans, they're going to start harvesting in, in a week or two. Um, but for Argentina, there's a long growing season for them. And, you know, things can change dramatically. So we're kind of hanging on that, which is what we do this time of year, really every year. Uh, and the other big thing is going to be what happens on that January WASDE report, uh, quarterly grain stocks report, uh, final production report. I mean, there's, there's like four reports wrapped into one on that January 12th uh, USDA data drop day. Yeah, and that's going to be a big key as we think ahead because really it just feels like the next you know week plus this market probably just going to drift at least until January 3rd when when we really get to the end of the new year, traders kind of come back in full force. And, you know, really that next uh, goalpost is that USDA uh, data dump there on the 12th. And, you know, I will be curious to see how the market reacts to those numbers, Ted. What does USDA give us? Are there any surprises? Um I, I feel like that could maybe keep us a little bit sideways and choppy until that report, Ted. Yeah, I would think so. You know, there's a seasonal tendency to see corn in particular kind of drift higher uh, between the December report and the end of the calendar year. And there might be more of that. Uh, we really only have four more trade sessions before that happens. Uh, so there might be more of that. It might be just absolutely quiet. It could be very choppy. Who knows what what next week? We really don't ever know what to expect in that week between Christmas and New Year's. Um, but then game on once we get back, like you said, on January 3rd, as we start preparing for that USDA report. It's hard to say what what that report is, what it's going to be versus expectations, because we don't know the expectations quite yet. Um, guys like myself will get pulled on that in that first week when we get back on the third. And it's a funny thing, Jesse, when, when they start pulling the analysts and, and the analysts start putting some thought to it, you start to see the market kind of reflect what those, what those expectations are. Um, so again, you know, as soon as we get back in January, you know, after the first couple of days, I, I, I feel like we're going to start getting a lot more active than what we have been. Um, and again, I, I'm very curious to see what the overall expectations are for the report. I can tell you that I have not done my numbers yet, and I, I won't do them until we get back from the, the New Year's holiday. Uh, but I will also say just sort of my, my initial feel uh, without going into the numbers and, and without dissecting it as I do, you know, um, I, I'm going to say I don't really feel like the production numbers, especially for soybeans, are going to be tremendously bullish. We had that big cut uh, back in the September report, and I think they might walk that back just a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if we were to find a little bit more soybeans out of the production side from last year. Uh, at least that's my feeling at the moment. And I say that just simply because, you know, it doesn't seem like our exporters or our crushers are, are all that concerned about the tight balance sheet that we have, suggesting to me maybe there's a little bit more soybeans out there. It could also be the fact that the Brazilian crop looks really good. It'll be coming online fairly soon. Um, so there just doesn't seem to be that sense of urgency out there. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I will go deeper into the numbers, you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks. And I'll, we'll have more to talk about there when, when we talk next time. Um, but my initial, you know, first glance, I, I wonder if this report in January is going to be as bullish as the trade I think is going to want it to be. Uh, and so that, that becomes a bit of a concern for me. And then it ties back into South American weather, which also ties into exports. But 
if we are going to get a report that doesn't continue to lower production from last year, continue to tighten the balance sheets, well, then we'll look at South America. And if Argentinian weather is getting better and Brazil looks really good, their harvest for first season soybeans is really good. Well, then it really kind of gets a little bit tough to, to, to maintain the bullishness needed to keep these prices up at the elevated levels that we're at. Um, so I think South American weather is really going to be paramount in that first, you know, two weeks of January. If we don't have a big story to talk about there, I get a little worried that maybe we're going to, well, we could break a little bit going into planting. As the markets tend to kind of drift here this next week or so until we get to the new new calendar year, what are your thoughts on maybe putting some of those quote-unquote wish orders out there, locking in some floors, things like that, just because if we get some of that volatile, low-volume trade and get a big swing one way or another, what's yeah. your thoughts on that in the grains right now, Ted? I mean, it never hurts to do that, Jesse, in any scenario, right? I mean, you know, on any given night, something can happen that the market wasn't expecting, i.e., you know, Russia invading Ukraine and things like that. I mean, we've we've seen so many times over the past few years uh, a big news event, you know, trade wars, things like that, that that really move the markets a lot in the night session, but then we're fading them by the time we get into the day session. So, look, I'm a big fan of having resting orders just out there working. That being said, I think for me, I'm a little bit more cash sale orientated at the moment. Um, I, I've been really trying to to push guys to be a little bit more aggressive on marketings this year than than most years. Um, we've talked about wanting to be 40 to 50 percent sold on corn by the time we get to the end of the calendar year, which is only four trading sessions away. We've talked about being somewhere similar in soybeans, maybe a little bit more aggressive, 45 to 55 percent sold on new crop beans by the time we get to the end of the calendar year. Uh, and if you haven't gotten those orders filled, maybe you have sort of those wish orders out there for the next couple of trade sessions and then see what happens and you know, maybe pull the trigger right before New Year's. I, but yeah, no, I, I'd like to see a bit more on the cash side. Uh, and the reason I say that, and we've, talk, we've talked about this a, by, a bunch, Jesse, mm -hmm. if we're going to pay a whole lot for input costs, you know, and especially for corn, we have to lock in the output costs. And, and you know, if we're not paying attention and all of a sudden we come into January and that South American weather looks better and that, that report isn't tremendously bullish, and all of a sudden, you know, we break 60 cents, 80 cents in corn, that's going to put a lot of hurting on guys that that spent on the inputs but didn't lock in the higher prices on the output. So I think it's important to 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 do that. I'm also going to say that you know puts are really cheap right now because we're not going anywhere. You know the volatility has been sucked out of these things, uh, and so when you talk about puts, which should be really expensive at these elevated prices, they're really not historically bad comparatively speaking. So. You can go in and you can own March 640 puts for, for really, you know, not that much. Uh, I was doing them the other day. Uh, actually, they're, they're really probably better, you know, uh, depending on what we do on Friday. But, I mean, you're talking eight, nine cents for 63 days worth of protection for something that's, you know, 20, 25 cents away from the market. In a 640 floor, I mean, wow, that's... That, that really helps you sleep at night, uh, you know, especially if you've, you've paid for the higher input costs. You at least know that's your worst case scenario on the board. Um, so things like that, you know, I, I really do think we should be fairly aggressive with our marketing strategy when we have really good prices. If we were trading 360 or 380 corn right now and you feel like there's not a whole lot of downside potential there. Yeah, you can you can wait, you know, don't ignore, you know, all that. Um, but we're not in that situation. There's so many things out there, Jesse, right now that can that can really burst this bubble. Um, 
and who knows what it'll be. It will happen at some point. Who knows what it'll be and who knows when. Uh, the best thing you can do is just be prepared for it. Uh, have those floors in place, have those cash sales made. Um, and just like I said, you know, options are cheap. Well, if you want to make cash sales and then have own call options to re-own the opportunity to the upside, hey, that's a viable option too, because those aren't terribly expensive either. So there's a lot of things that can be done right now. And there's a lot of things that I think really should be done right now. Well, again, that is Ted Seifert with Zaner Ag Hedge joining us here today on Market Talk. And we are going to continue the conversation with Ted coming up here after the break as we will talk a little bit more on the livestock market. I want to pick Ted's brain on the crude oil market that had a really strong end of the week on Friday. And I also want to get the uh, crystal ball out and look ahead as we turn the calendar to 2023. All that more coming up here as we continue with more Market Talk with Ted Seifert of Zaner Ag Hedge. We'll be back right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Great to have you with us here today. Jesse Allen with you in studio. Ted Seifert, Zainer Aghedge is our guest analyst here on the show today. Let's continue our conversation. Ted, I know uh, you like to talk about this crude oil market, and I love to get your opinion on this crude oil market. You've you know, said uh, a few times you feel like it's the canary in the coal mine, and I agree with you on that. I saw a report Friday that it sounds like Russia might cut production 500,000 barrels a day in the new year. I wonder if that had any impact in in friday's trade in the crude oil market and also too if crude oil kind of spilled over and gave support to the grain trade on friday ted yeah you know it certainly did have a a positive influence on the crude oil market uh on friday um whether whether we believe them or not i i think is a completely different story i mm -hmm. i don't know um but no that 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 did that did definitely help crude oil there on friday and you know you'll get soybean oil 120 or so that was helpful um so yeah and like i said i mean it really contributed to the whole risk on idea there on a friday um so all the way around you know that strength of crude that helped now that being said crude oil running into some overhead resistance here um i could see crude pulling back and, and maybe carving out a bit of a bigger bottom I don't think there's a whole lot of trade below $70 in crude oil, mainly because I really do believe that we would aggressively start filling the, refilling the strategic oil reserve at that point. I think we should be doing that. Um, so I'm not calling for crude at 30 bucks, things like that. I mean, look, anything can happen, crazy stuff, you know, but short of a big fundamental change in the whole macroeconomics of the global economy, I don't really see crude needing to go to, you know, 40, 30, $40. I, I don't see much trade below 70, let alone, especially 60, right? So I think crude is, is going to be in on a mission to carve out a longer term bottom. Now, that being said, when we talk about crude as a canary in a coal mine, you know, crude has broken much more off of its highs than the grains have. And a part of that is because of the late season dryness cutting our crop from last year. So 
I, I, what I don't want is people to think that if crude starts to rally, that necessarily means that grains have to rally because the fundamentals in crude changed a lot faster than the fundamentals in grain because of that production issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think there's more downside in grains, even if crude is coming up. If we start to, if we can string together a, a couple of good production uh, between South America, first and second crop in in, in Brazil and, and Argentina's crop, if that starts to improve, improve, and we get off to a good start on on our growing season, I think there's a lot of thin air below us. So um, it's nice to look at crude as a canary and gold gold canary gold mine canary in a coal mine for the investing sentiment in commodities as a whole. But it's also important to realize that each one of these commodities that we trade have their own individual set of fundamentals that can override the overall uh, fund sentiment on commodities. Livestock trade, uh, as you and I talk here, we don't have the cattle on feed or quarterly hogs and pigs report numbers in front of us, but it feels like everyone expecting those to be neutral to friendly, especially on the cattle side. Um, It felt like Friday's market trade headed to Christmas was just kind of chopping around squared positions ahead of those reports. Uh, But as you look at this protein sector overall here as we near the end of the year, any thoughts that stand out to you there right now, Ted? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the cattle on feed report, like I said, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, but the expectations for that, I mean, are, are very much reflective of the expectations for a a big drop in supply over the next three quarters. I mean, mm-hmm. we're looking for uh, cattle on feed to be, I think it was down 2.6%. Uh, we're looking for placency down, you know, 4.5%. Uh, and marketing's to be up almost a percent. So, those are the expectations. A lot of that's been factored into the market. If those drops in productions don't occur, that'll be a really bearish thing and take away a lot of the reason and rationale for why we are quote unquote up here uh, and why we broke into new recent highs there uh, or new contract highs there on, on Wednesday. Um, but I, for the most part, I do think that that drop in production is coming. That should keep a rather nice uh, uh, floor underneath the cattle market. Again, I'm gonna say all things uh, remain the same from an economy perspective, from a, a domestic demand perspective, export demand's not been great. We'd love to see that pick up a little bit. Uh, but if, if our domestic demand stays strong and we have this shrinking supply situation, then these prices are justified, Jesse. And then we could actually see more upside potential if people do start uh, uh, picking up their, their because uh, we're looking for that production job to, to last through the, the third quarter. So now, Go out and think about, you know, what that means for for the for the spring grilling season mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, um, you know, it's pretty optimistic. But again, that's assuming that we don't go into this big recession that really everybody's talking about. And we don't really see the, you know, the fear that comes from, oh, my 401k just got slammed. I might lose mm-hmm. my job, my house, you know, things like that. If those things don't happen. Yeah, I do think there's more upset potential in the camera. Well, Ted, let's break out the crystal ball a little bit here. And in your thoughts, what should we have learned about our marketing strategies and plans as we look back at this volatile, wild year we've had in 2022? What should we have learned and what do we need to think about and take into 2023? What's on your mind as we turn the calendar over? So kind of a two-part question there, Ted. These are always the favorite questions that that get asked on these sorts of things at the end of the year, aren't they? Um, (laughs) You know, what should we have learned? Look, I think it's a I'm going to roll the last few years together. And and basically, Jesse, I think what we have to say is that, you know, anything that can happen likely is going to happen, it seems, you know, uh, between pandemics, trade wars and, and actual wars and 
you know, who knows? Uh, you really have to be on your toes. Uh, fortunately, the, the year of 22, most of the things that did happen were actually quite positive for the markets. Um, go back a couple of years ago, and that was quite the opposite. So, you know, you have to be prepared for really anything at this point. You know, these are global markets. We're not just trading grain fundamentals or livestock fundamentals. It is a, a much broader picture nowadays. Uh, so you have to be really tuned into that, and you have to realize that there's risk out there at all times. Uh, I'm also going to say that, you know, I don't love cliches. I, I, I feel like I probably use them more than I, I want to. But the cure for high prices ultimately is high prices. And we've been on the higher historical end of prices for grains for some time now. There will be something that changes that. Um, ultimately, that will create demand destruction. Ultimately, that will bring all of the production available uh, out of the woodwork. Uh, and ultimately, we're going to get back to a situation where we are overproducing uh, or we're oversupplying the demand. And when we do that, we'll go back to the other end of the cycle. We'll go back to the lower prices. The, we will have a market that is trying to cut out the acres and trying to encourage demand. So it's important to really sit here and think about that and, and over time, how we need to be positioned for that. Uh, it's absolutely paramount that we take advantage of the good times so that we can prepare for the bad times because the bad times will happen again. Well, Ted, great thoughts. If folks want to reach out to you and uh, get some advice and work with you on their marketing plans there at Zaner Ag Hedge as they look to the new year, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Ted? Yeah, Jesse, absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. That is my direct line. Aside from that, you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. You can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our morning Ag Hedge newsletter, which is written by my buddy Alex. It's uh, He does a really good job with it. It's not a recommendations letter, though. It's just a newsletter. The recommendations come from us uh, because we really try to tailor them to who you are, who your risk tolerance is, what your operation is, where you are on your cash sales and things like that. Um, and then aside from that, if you're on Twitter, I'm at the Ted Spread. I like to have a little fun on Twitter. Well, we appreciate the time and insight as always uh, throughout the year. With that, Ted Seifert, Zaner Ag Hedge, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, buddy. We will talk to you in 23. Thanks, buddy. It's been a great year. I've really enjoyed doing the show. Thanks for having me, and I really look forward to seeing you again in 23. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. Well, and again, we appreciate his time and thoughts. That's Ted Seifert with Zaner Ag Hedge here joining us today on Market Talk. And you can, again, learn more Zaner.com. That is a great way to get in touch with Ted and the team there at Zaner Ag Hedge. Want to take a look at the closing numbers from Friday's session before we head to the break here. We saw corn, beans, wheat all in positive uh, territory on Friday as we headed to the Christmas holiday. March quarter, five and three quarters, 666 and a quarter. July line cord was up three and three quarters at 658 new crop december cord up a half a penny 601 at three quarters soybeans january up 11 at a quarter 1479 march up 12 and a half 1484 and a half july beans up 14 to three quarters at 1493 and new crop November beans up 11 to three quarters at 1393 and a half. Soybean meal for January up 330 a ton, 45530. January soybean oil up 13.6593 on Friday. 
We saw March Chicago wheat that was up 13 to three quarters, 776. July up 11 and a half, 786 and a quarter. March KC wheat up eight and three quarters, 874 and three quarters. July up nine and a quarter, 862. Spring wheat March up 11, 933 and a quarter. July spring wheat up 10 and a quarter, 916 and a half. December live cattle up a dollar, 156.90. February up 45, 157.75. January feeder cattle up two, 184 even. Feeder cattle for March up 30, 186.75. February hogs down 122. 87.82. April Hong's down 65.95.37. We'll be back to wrap up the show on the way right after this. Back with more Market Talk coming up after the break. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Big thanks again to Ted Seifert, Zaner Aghedge, for joining us uh, here today with market analysis on the show as we wrapped up the trade on Friday and headed to the Christmas holiday break. And, of course, uh, we'll continue to keep our eyes on the markets. Coming up here next week, we're going to be talking with uh, a few of our good friends here on the show as we kind of look at the markets as a whole this past year and look ahead to 2023. We're going to have conversations with Chad Hart from Iowa State, Ed Usset from the University of Minnesota. We'll have our uh, good friend Richard Fordyce on the show. He's with Osborne Bar Paramore, former FSA administrator. Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. David Widmar, Agricultural Economic Insights. So we're going to be bringing in a few different folks uh, here throughout the next week to kind of talk about the markets as a whole here this past year and look ahead to 2023. So definitely looking forward to those conversations. Well, the agricultural economy is in relatively good shape at the end of this year. Courtney Cowley, the senior economist for the Oklahoma City branch of the Kansas City Fed, says things in the district are solid, but pressures are beginning to mount. I think in the country and in the Kansas City Fed district as a whole, a couple weeks ago, USDA forecast, which was very positive, but I would say that overall, the outlook for the agricultural economy has still been generally positive here, more locally as well, but some pressures have just been you know, really persistent both this year and I think looking ahead to next year. And she talks about some of the biggest challenges producers in the district are facing. Pressures associated with uncertainty about commodity prices. This year, you know, things have continued to be pretty good, but still fairly volatile, especially following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And then the big one for our district has been intense drought. And then for everyone, it's been higher expenses. But I think that that drought piece is one that's been fairly substantial in the Kansas City Fed region for both crop and livestock producers. Several parts of the KC Fed's district have struggled with serious drought. If you were to draw a line down the middle of our district, like Interstate 35 would kind of bisect our district in half east to west. It's definitely that western side of the district. So particularly western Oklahoma, southwest Kansas. We also have the mountain states in our district of Wyoming, Colorado, and northern New Mexico. The mountain states are kind of used to a little bit more arid climate, but what we've been seeing kind of this year and into last year in western Oklahoma and western Kansas has been pretty substantial drought, and also in parts of western Nebraska as well. Now, Cowley says some of those areas do benefit for more reliable groundwater sources and irrigation. Now she says the overall strength in the sector, despite the challenges, is somewhat surprising. 
Yes, I have been a little bit surprised just because most of the comments we receive from contacts and in our surveys still focus a lot on pressure from inflationary pressure in general on input costs. And then also once we started seeing higher interest rates, you know, that can also put more pressure on profit margins through higher interest expense and then drought. So kind of all those things combined, I would have maybe expected it to be a bit more pessimistic than what it is. But yes, the comments of really strong commodity prices along with carryover from previous years of fairly substantial government support and also just really smart management overall in the ag sector from both producers and agricultural lenders. Looking ahead, she says the support is there for strong prices to continue into the new year. I do know that the fundamentals are there for fairly strong prices because coming into the Russia-Ukraine scenario and into 2022, we had very tight inventories for a lot of key agricultural commodities like corn, soybeans, wheat. So international demand has been very strong. We kind of finally caught demand up with supply in the U.S. and we got into a situation of much tighter inventories the last couple of years. And that has continued this year because of the drought and slightly lower production. So I think on the crop side, that could help support prices going into next year. In the Kansas City Fed District, cattle account for about 50% of total farm revenues. And so it's a very important industry for our district's agricultural commodity. And cattle prices, I would expect to be very strong because of all the herd liquidation that we've seen this year due to drought. And again, that is Courtney Cowley of the Kansas City Fed. Well, the United Soybean Board recently elected Megan Kaiser of Missouri as the organization's new chair. She explains the top priorities for the soy checkoff in the year ahead. We're in the second year of our new strategic plan, so we continue to look at things like health and nutrition, and on the farm, that would mean plant and soil health, and then also, of course, on the demand side, looking at human and animal health and nutrition. We're looking at infrastructure and connectivity. We're always looking at how are we going to most efficiently get our soybean crop to the global marketplace, and then on innovation and technology, and making sure that farmers have access to tools that help us make data-driven decisions and be more efficient, so we continue our sustainable U.S. soy production. Kaiser says recent successes in checkoff investments include infrastructure, specifically research to inform dredging of the lower Mississippi River. And the checkoff really got the ball rolling there by saying, what are the barriers of entry? What's keeping this from going? And it, it turned out that it was planning and design. And that's the kind of work that the checkoff can invest in. And that $2 million investment from soybean farmers was met with a $245 million investment from the federal government and the state of Louisiana to make that dredging get started. Now, the 77 farmer leaders of the United Soybean Board across 30-plus soy-growing states strategically design investment decisions that deliver sustainable solutions to every life every day. But it really starts with our farm perspective coming and saying, I would like to see us invest in this. This is the unique value of the U.S. soybean checkoff. Farmer leaders make those investment decisions. We also evaluate their progress. When we work together through the checkoff, we're able to make a real impact for the soybean industry in the United States. And again, that's Megan Kaiser of Missouri, the new chair of the United Soybean Board. And you can stay up to date with the latest news from the United Soybean Board online, unitedsoybean.org, and every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on RFD-TV. 
Well, that is all the time we have for Market Talk here today as we are in the holiday season. I thank you and yours for tuning into the program each and every weekday. And of course, uh, you know, our goal here with the show as we continue to build it, my goal with the show is to bring you something a little bit different, uh, plenty of content, but also to hopefully make you think it's some different educational things when it comes to the markets and, of course, staying up to date with issues affecting rural America. So I thank you for tuning in. A big thank you to all of our affiliates. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.